Please turn with me this morning to John's Gospel, chapter 3. John 3 and verse 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And again, verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. My friends, we're looking this morning at this uh, topic of regeneration. Regeneration. I'm sure you've all heard, I'm sure everyone here has come across somebody who is identified as a born-again Christian. Oh, I'm a born-again Christian. I'm a spirit-filled, born-again Christian. Oh, what exactly do they mean? And if you use the term, what exactly do you mean? Do you know what you mean? Do you know what you're saying when you are saying such words? It can be confusing. You know, when you talk to uh, unbelieving friends, we must, sometimes you can't avoid, you have to use biblical terms, but if we can try to avoid biblical jargon, it's uh, sometimes better to, when you're speaking to the man who knows nothing about these things. Well, we'll come to what this term uh, actually means uh, in a moment and uh, what it means in a little bit more of an exact way. Uh, that's our topic. But we've started a series of studies on the Ordo Salutis. That's the Latin for uh, order of salvation. And uh, that's the process that's behind every conversion. Something is happening behind the scenes before a person comes and you see them uh, expressing faith and expressing repentance uh, uh, before the Lord and being reconciled with Him in a visible way. Well, some things have happened already behind the scenes, and some things are sure to happen after that person has uh, repented and believed, if they are truly saved. There's bound to be an after as well as a before. Some people, when they come to Christ, they say, well, I've, made that, I've, I've prayed and I've asked the Lord to save me, I'm saved, and now they just carry on living as they like. And there's, if a real, where, there's a, where there's a real change, it will lead to justification and adoption and a sanctified life before the Lord and a concern for holiness. So we're looking at that uh, process that takes place in conversion. And we're breaking down that process into stages so that we can see uh, distinctly each, each, each step along the way. Yes, there's some overlap uh, along the way, but we're trying to uh, break it up so that we can have a clear picture of the kind of things that God does in a person before he brings them or as he brings them to himself. Why does one person hear the gospel and not respond to it and another person uh, hear the gospel, the very same words, the very same gospel, the very same Savior is offered to them and they reject it because, or they accept it because Christ works in their heart. One, re one rejects and one receives. So, friends, we're going through these stages one by one, and these are not stages, this order of salvation is not something uh, that we have made up, but it's something that we have derived uh, from Scripture. So we looked last week at the, uh, the call of God, and especially the effectual call of God. The next stage, what we're looking at today, is regeneration, and how that leads to the next stage, conversion expressed in faith and repentance, then justification, 
and we'll come on to adoption, and then sanctification, and then finally glorification. So we'll be looking at uh, these things. So as we said last week, we looked at effectual calling, and today it's regeneration. We, what exactly is God doing in that person to bring them to uh, faith, to cause them to respond to cause their ears to be open, to cause them to be interested in the spiritual things and interests they didn't have before. We'll come to that in a moment. But keep in mind, friends, as we're going along, that analogy I gave to you last week of, a, of pregnancy. So the same progress, uh, process can be likened uh, to a pregnancy. So you have, in the pregnancy, you have, of course, conception. It all begins there. And then you have the actual birth, when the baby becomes conscious of their life and their breathing for themselves and so on. And uh, we say that this process, this order of salvation is very similar to that because in conception you have this regeneration, what we're going to talk about this morning, and that's going to lead into a conversion, the actual conscious acknowledgement before God. Well, another way that we could describe this order of salvation is also redemption applied. Redemption applied. Redemption, we know, was accomplished. We had nothing to do with that redemption which was accomplished. Christ did it all. Christ did everything uh, on our behalf. Christ came from heaven. Christ lived a perfect life in the midst of provocations, in the midst of all the temptations of this world. He lived an absolutely holy and perfect life for the sake of his people. That was all a part of the redemption. Redemption is not only the cross, it's also that life that he lived where he was earning, earning a righteousness uh, for his people, a perfect righteousness, one that he could share and impart to others. But then his death, that time when he died, an unimaginable pain and suffering and agony, especially the spiritual agony to atone for his people's sins. Well, that's what Christ has done. That's the finished work of Jesus Christ, and we can add nothing to that, and we do, we do not want to add anything to that. But how is that going to be applied to men and women? How is it going to become effectual in men and women? Uh, some people, some, or we could say actually many today, many people say, it's up to you. It's up to you. Uh, we, we, we present uh, the gospel to people, they will say, and then you leave it up to the ind individual. The individual has a choice. He can either accept these, uh, the, the gospel or he can reject it. Uh, they will go so far as to say, well, the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside and maybe he will try and persuade you and he will try and uh, encourage you and work in that persuasive way to help you to see this is what you should do. But at the end of the day, it's up to you. It's your choice, they will say. Well, these are uh, what we call semi-Pelagian. These are Arminian kind of way of thinking. And we, we do not see that as a biblical way of looking at things. Because if you left it, friends, to man, if you left it to, to us to, to just say, well, shall we believe in Christ and receive Christ or not, we would never do it. We would never ever come to Christ. We would never ever believe in Christ because the Bible says very clearly, before we come to Christ, what is our state? We are dead in trespasses and sins. We are spiritually dead people. We have nothing really for God. 
Nothing. And so you see, God must move in us. God must awaken us and, and quicken us. Friends, none of us would receive Christ if God didn't intervene in us. And that's what He does. That's what He does mercifully, graciously. He comes and intervenes with our lives. And He intervenes in that powerful way to make us willing. Because to give us the will. He doesn't force us, as we said last week. He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't badger us into uh, believing in Him. But He works on our hearts uh, by His Spirit and makes us willing from within, not leaving it up to us uh, to decide. Well, just before we come uh, to the actual topic itself, just one more thing uh, I'd like to say about regeneration. That is, often the terms regeneration and conversion are used interchangeably. And uh, sometimes we preachers use it meaning one thing, and sometimes we, we use it when we're thinking about that initial work of God, and sometimes we use it when we're thinking about uh, conversion itself. And to be honest, there's nothing really wrong in doing that. But it's just that we want today to uh, look at it in a more specific way. Regeneration, as we've said, is akin to conception. Uh, conversion is the actual birth. Regeneration is something that God does in us by His Spirit. Man plays no part in that regeneration, that first work uh, uh, by His Spirit. Man plays absolutely no part in that. In conversion, that's something that man is involved with. The Spirit of God does cooperate then uh, with man. And then the Word is used in a persuasive way. In regeneration, really the Word is not used. But in, in, in a, the a con conversion, the Spirit of God brings that gospel message home to the heart of the, the sinner, and he makes a conscious response to the things that he learns and hears. Conversion is man consciously turning from one thing to another, that, from sin to God. But in regeneration, that previous work, the man is entirely passive. He's entirely passive. It's something that happens in his uh, subconscious initially, before it is seen. So it may be a while, it may be a short a period of time, maybe a few an hour, maybe a few hours, it may be uh, days or weeks or even a few months before that person before that person who is regenerated becomes aware of it in conversion and comes to that conscious faith in Christ. Louis Burkhoff, the, the theologian, uh, we quoted him last week, but here he is again. This is his uh, definition. Uh, of regeneration. Regeneration, he says, is that act of God by which the principle of the new life is implanted in man and the governing disposition of the soul is made holy. That's beautifully put. I say again, regeneration, that first act of God, is that act of God by which the principle of new life is implanted in man and the change, the governing disposition of the soul is made holy. And then he goes on to say that leads to the first holy exercise of this new disposition being secured. So that's it, friends. That's regeneration, the planting of new life in the soul, the planting of spiritual life in the soul. A new principle is put in that man. A new spirit is put in that man. 
God creates. It's a creative act of God. God creates new life uh, in that soul. And uh, he gives that soul a new bent, a new disposition that it never uh, had before. And this new bent is going to change the direction of his life and to change the governing principle of his life. So as before he was so much towards sin and the world, now he's going to be turned 180 degrees around, and the governing disposition, the motivation of his life, the driving force, you could say, of his life, is now towards God, and it's towards him. That's what God does. That's what God does in each and every one of us. Well, this word, regeneration, in terms of the new birth, is only really found once. The actual word is found a couple of times, but once it refers to the, the new world that's going to come. Christ spoke of that regeneration. But in Titus 3.5, Paul's talked about the washing of regeneration, and he's referring to this initial act of God in the soul. But it's also known by other biblical terms, and I'll just mention a few to you very quickly. Ephesians uh, 2.5, we have the word quickening. Quickening. Uh, being brought alive, being made alive. God, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. See, that's our state before. What's, what did he do? Has quickened us together with Christ. Has made us alive. Has produced new life. A dead person is dead. He's dead. He can't give himself life again. He can't bring himself to life again. So also... The, the spirit of God, we, we are as, as spiritually dead people. We cannot give ourselves spiritual life. God must quicken us. God must raise us from the dead like he raised Lazarus. That's also a beautiful picture of uh, this regeneration. Ephesians 2.10, another word. The believer is one who is created in Christ Jesus. Not only that first creation uh, where we are made uh, uh, physically, but uh, the spiritual creation, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And then 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, you know it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Again, something of God. And then in our reading in John uh, 3, again and again, the Lord used the word, uh, you need to be born again. And that word born is, can be either uh, referring to regeneration, that initial work of God, or conversion. It includes both. But the idea is it can be used for this one, for regeneration. And we'll, come to, we'll look at that in a moment. John's epistle as well, his first epistle, again and again, read through it. You can't avoid it. It's, it stands out to you every time you read it. Everyone that loveth, for example, is born of God. You'll hear that term repeatedly in John's epistle. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit a sin, and so on. Well, friends, regeneration. Let me just say briefly what it's not, what it doesn't do to a person. While it changes us in an entire way, yet it, at the same time, it doesn't change who we are as people. It doesn't change who we are as uh, physically. It's not a, a physical change, but a spiritual one. It's a tremendous change, but it doesn't, in a sense, affect your personality, what kind of a person that you are. Maybe you're an introverted person. Nothing wrong with that. You, maybe you are, or maybe you're an extrovert. Well, regeneration doesn't make you, turn you from an introvert into an extrovert, or vice versa. 
it still leaves you the same kind of person. It doesn't, regeneration doesn't increase your IQ levels and make you suddenly an Einstein or, or so. If you're a logical person before conversion, well, you're a logical person after. If you're an artistic person uh, before conversion, you're an artistic person after uh, regeneration and conversion. It doesn't change you in that way. It doesn't change your taste. You like, you prefer chicken and chips before uh, to rice and curry. Well, after your conversion, you'll still prefer chicken and chips to rice and curry. It doesn't affect your, your appetites. Your, you don't lose your identity, as it were. You don't lose your individuality. Regeneration, that change, tremendous as it is, yet in the same sense, in one sense also, leaves you as the person that you are and wants you to become the person as you are, uh, as God intended you to be uh, within and through your individuality and your person. Friends, we were never meant to be identical. Regeneration is not meant to make each one of us the same. We all, all Christians are the same, all look the same, all speak the same, all use the same tone of voice. You know, doctors, doctors seem to always use the same tone of voice. And they're speaking always, and I'm sure they've learned it in university or or in medical school, but they always seem to have this gentle tone of voice when they're speaking to you. Well, when you become a believer, it doesn't, you don't change your, your voice. Everyone's got their own individuality. Everyone's got their own voice. And that uh, is, is uh, saved. We are a saved people. We're not meant to lose our identity. We don't become carbon copies of one another. That's not what's in mind here. I'm the same person as before. But, but, now there is a spiritual side to me that wasn't there before. Now there's a spiritual aspect to me. Now my drive, my, my bent in life is different. Now I am not the same, and yet I am the same. So this is, this is it, friends. Uh, regeneration, the implanting of a principle, a new spiritual life in my soul, that new governing disposition, something that is behind us, that moves us in a Godward direction. Somebody expressed this in a very simple illustration. You have a good man on one hand, and you have a bad man. The good man, well, he does good things. Uh, he's kind. He's concerned about the poor. Maybe he, 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 has, he goes, uh, devotes his time in the charity shop, and he's quite willing to give of what he has to, uh, to the poor. He's quite willing to sacrifice his time. He does good things, he, he thinks good things of people, and then there's a bad man, and he's only thinking about himself, and he's only thinking about how he can make more money for himself and his family and uh, his own lot, and he doesn't uh, have any scruples about how he gets that money and what he does to people, but he's a bad man, we could say. Well, what, what is behind them? What is behind those souls? Well, one has a, a disposition towards doing good, and the other one has a disposition towards doing bad, towards doing uh, evil. Well, that's, the, that's what God changes, this disposition that is uh, behind us. It's of so vital, uh, it's of vital importance because it's going to determine exactly how I'm going to live and what I'm going to do and what I'm going to give my time to, uh, this disposition that is behind me, that is driving me. Look at the Apostle Paul before when he was Saul, when he was terrorizing the church of God, 
well, what kind of a man was he? Well, he was a very logical man, and he was a very uh, zealous man, he was very fervent for uh, Judaism, and he went from place to place seeking out uh, Christians to persecute. He had uh, tremendous powers and abilities. Everything that he put his, his hand to, he put his whole heart into those things before his conversion. That's what he was like, but the driving force behind that was, uh, was, to, was towards uh, evil, uh, towards his, his Judaistic religion. But when the Lord met him and changed him and converted him and changed that bent of his soul, what happened to him? Well, he's still the same logical man. We see it in his writings. He's still the same fervent man, and the man who was willing to sacrifice himself, the one who was still full of zeal for the Savior, but now its direction is for Christ and for the church, for the kingdom of God. This is what he lived for. It's changed. What's happened to him? He's been regenerated. He's been converted. He's been brought to God by this tremendous work of God in his life. Well, friends, what happens? What happens when God moves. Keep that in mind, that the, 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 uh, the changes that God makes in a person is to move them in that Godward uh, direction. That's regeneration. What happens when God first implants new life in a person? Well, they begin to understand the preacher. They begin to understand what he is saying finally. It's beginning to make sense. It begins to dawn upon them. They become more attentive. They're listening with both ears. They feel, God is speaking to me. God is speaking to me. They become concerned for their sins. Remember, they're not conscious yet. They're not aware yet that they are converted, that they are, belong to the Lord. But this regenerating work has begun because God, when it planted that new life, brings about first that concern for their sin and that anxiety about their souls. I'm not saved. I'm not ready to meet the Lord. If I were to die today, I'm not ready to stand before a holy God and give an account of myself. And then what shall I do? My trail of sins are behind me. How can I be forgiven? How can I grasp these things that I'm hearing about salvation. They haven't yet found the Lord, but they've become, we could say, seekers. they become seekers after the Lord. They haven't consciously found Him yet, but they're desiring salvation. They want salvation. They want peace with God. They were not like that before. Before they listened, but it didn't make little difference. But now there's a, a longing in their heart to know uh, these things, and they begin to seek the Lord earnestly and uh, maybe even on their own. They're on the bus sometimes, they're on their way to work, and they're looking out of the window, and the thought just comes to their mind, Lord, save me. Lord, have mercy on me. They're in the midst of their studies, and again, they cannot help but think perhaps, Lord, what is faith? I'm struggling to understand. Lord, what does it mean to believe in you? I want to believe in you. Oh, Lord, uh, grant me faith. They're, these silent prayers and or cries of the heart are go up to God. You see, friends, regeneration leads, launches a person into this spiritual crisis before they come through to knowing the Savior consciously, before they exercise faith and repentance, before they actually begin to live out 
uh, that new life. God works in them uh, to give them that conviction that they are sinners and need a Savior. Well, friends, you can see, uh, see these things which I'm saying to you uh, in, uh, in Acts, Acts chapter 16, and uh, we can link regeneration uh, with effectual calling uh, last week. You remember when Paul, he went to Philippi, and uh, he began talking at first uh, uh, city that he went to in Europe, and he began talking to the people by the riverside, and uh, there was, he spoke the word of God to them, uh, that was the general call. He offered, uh, uh, the invitation went out to all to believe. Lydia was listening. One woman was listening. And we read, the Lord opened her heart. That's regeneration. God worked in her heart as she was listening. And then, so that she attended to Paul's preaching. That's effectual calling. That's the response. Uh, all, you can see they're all linked uh, together. Oh, friends, is it important? Is regeneration really important? Is it necessary? Can I just be a good person? Can I just be a good man, a good woman? I'll, I'll try and be as best as I can. I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to harm everyone. Oh, I want, just want to be a, be a nice person. Surely that's enough for God. Surely God won't reject me if I make such efforts genuinely, sincerely, all the days of my life. Surely He will see I'm putting that effort into my into my uh, uh, working for my salvation, surely he will accept it, isn't it? No, friends, he won't. He won't accept that. Uh, he won't be satisfied uh, with that. He cannot because what we cannot see maybe is that our righteousness is, is full of holes. It's unacceptable to God. And Jesus made this very explicit that in his conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a good man. Nicodemus was more than a good man. He was a religious man. He was a fervently religious man. And he was a leader uh, in Israel. And people looked up to him. And he sought people's good, no doubt. And he seems to be a very kind man and a gentle man. But the Lord said to him very directly, in no uncertain terms, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. What you have is not enough, he's saying. You must we know this change of the Spirit of God in your life. Let's just quickly run through it. Verse 3, why is re regeneration so necessary? Well, friends, except uh, a man be born again, verse 3, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is, you, you won't be able to perceive its worth and its value, and you won't be able to understand uh, spiritual things clearly without this new birth, without this work of God in your soul. You'll hear about it, but you won't be able to grasp it clearly. Verse 4, Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water, that's, and, and water, that's not talking about baptism, friends. That's not talking even about the Word of God there. That's just talking about a natural birth. Except a man be born of water. He's talking about the first birth and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. To get into God's kingdom. Yes, to get into heaven, but you must get into God's kingdom here first. Before you can enter heaven, you must enter it while you are still on earth. Uh, without this new birth, this second birth, 
you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Is Christ mincing his words? Not at all. He's laying it down clearly, black and white, for, us, for Nicodemus and for us all to see. The natural birth, friends, is not enough. It's insufficient uh, with God, before God. The governing disposition of a natural man is still towards evil. It's still away from God. David's confession, in sin did my mother conceive me. And sin brings forth its own fruit, for you need to be born again. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And then verse 8, we see uh, Christ comparing this work uh, to the wind. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. It's a sovereign work of the Spirit of God. I cannot make myself born again. I cannot be, uh, do, do it myself. God must do it. It must be an entire work of His Spirit. That's what they're saying. Well, you, you hear, hear the wind. I wish we could hear a bit more this morning. It's so hot. You hear the wind, and you hear it only in the rustling of the trees and so on. But you cannot see the wind. It's, uh, it does what it's, it has its own mind in a sense. It's sovereign. It goes wherever it wants. So it is with the Spirit of God. We, uh, he does work sovereignly in people. And it's up to Him. Uh, it's out of our, something that is out of our control. But this is the wonderful thing that God does uh, in uh, each one whom He brings to Himself. He does regenerate. He does bestow work and create this new life in the soul of so many. And many of us uh, know this and can testify uh, to it. But friends, let me come to a close. What is the governing disposition of your life today? What is behind your actions? What makes you do the things that you do? What is behind your choices in life? When you have a choice between the Lord and, and, the, and something else, uh, what is it? that uh, directs you? What is the, the bent of your life, if we could put it that way? Is it for the Lord, or is it uh, for self? Is it uh, for my family uh, before the Lord, or is it um, my life only uh, in this world? Am I still perhaps just a natural man? Yeah, I'm not maybe doing anything evil outwardly, and that's considered terrible in the eyes of man, and I'm just trying to get on with my life, and I'm just trying to put food on the table maybe for my family, and trying to have a comfortable life, and save some money, put away some money for a rainy day. That's all I'm trying to do, and maybe improve my lot. But that's, made that, that's just natural thinking, friend. That's what every natural person does if he omits Nothing wrong in doing those things, but if he does that to the exclusion of seeking the Lord and living for the Lord, then the bent of his life is showing himself to be uh, for uh, still, uh, he's showing himself still to be an unregenerate man. Or am I living for Christ? Am I living for his honor, for his glory, for the advance of his kingdom? I want to please him when I have decisions to make. Even in the very small decisions of life, I'm going to put you first, Lord. I'm going to choose you above uh, these earthly considerations. That's what we need to do, friends, to live for Christ's glory, to live always 
in that Godward direction. May I just close with a testimony, my own, because uh, I found this was one of the things that awakened me. For a long time, I was a professing Christian, doing Christian things, witnessing, reading my Bible, praying, but something was missing, and I knew something was missing. I was doing all those things to be a Christian, trying to be the best Christian I could be in a good church. But I saw in uh, one or two uh, others, I saw they're different to me. They seem to have a bent in their life. I remember thinking this very clearly. They seem to have almost like a natural bent in their life uh, towards the Lord. And here I am, I'm struggling, I'm trying to be something, perhaps some, there's something missing. And that was an awakening call for me. And I had to come to that confession, I'm not there. I'm not there spiritually. I'm missing. And that word in Matthew 7 used to terrify me. You know, the Lord said, depart from me, ye, ye workers of iniquity, after all the list of things that they'd said they'd done. But it was that bent I saw in other believers, and I knew that something was wrong. And then I began to seek Christ again. And in a, a short while, just a few months, thankfully, he showed himself to me in a sense. He revealed uh, the truth, and he truly did uh, save me and give me uh, that uh, disposition uh, towards him. A work of God's grace, and that's what he desires for us all. Oh, friends, how we need, may I say, just absolute honesty before God. Absolute honesty with ourselves. Because the last thing we desire is that on that final day, to be found out, to be one who professed and heard all the good things, all the way of salvation, but it never really was applied savingly to our hearts, never really changed us. Or may it not be so for us, Oh Lord, if you feel that is true for you, come to him, begin to seek him again. And he will, uh, he will show himself to you. He will save you. He will bless you in a true and real way. Let's close by singing our final hymn, number 574, A Debtor to Mercy Alone, 574.